Hi, I'm Bill Arnold. Thank you for listening to this podcast. There are many more podcasts available at MyFaithRadio.com. Your support makes this possible. Thank you. And a warm welcome to the afternoon show. I'm Bill Arnold, and you know I love Mondays. I've always said I've loved Mondays. And today I even love it more because I have uh, Greg Kokel on for the full hour. And I'll just give you a warning. Once Greg Kokel gets in your head, good luck getting him out. That's been my experience. He's authored uh, seven books. I think uh, his new book is his eighth. It doesn't come out until September, but we're going to get a chance to chat about it. It's called Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's toughest challenges. He founded Stand to Reason in 1993 and serves as the president of it. He's an awesome apologist, and I'm always glad to get a chance to talk to him. Greg, welcome back. Hey, Bill. Thanks a lot. It's a treat for me to chat with you. Well, you probably say that to everybody because you're just such a nice guy on top of it. This is what, (laughs) this drives me crazy because really, when when I read Tactics, a game for discussing your Christian convictions, you got in my head and I couldn't get, could and get you out. So there well, you go. That's good. I, I got lots of people in my head too that have been mentioned. <laughs> yeah. Me, you know, and I'm glad they're there and I hope they never leave because I need their help constantly. Isn't that, isn't that saying, the truth? Pardon me? Isn't that the truth? Yeah. Yeah. The, I think the saying is we stand on the shoulders of those who come before us. Yeah. Beautiful. And I know you were in town a couple of years ago, I think for a huge apologetics students conference at Grace Church yeah, in Eden I, Prairie. Right. I'm glad you mentioned that because we've actually been there for the last four years uh, and in uh, November. And on November 10 and 11, we will be back in, in Eden Prairie at Grace Sweet. Church. Yeah. Last year, we had almost 4,000 people. So, you know, when young people, we're shooting for middle schoolers and high schoolers. It's called the Reality uh, Student Apologetics Com. Yeah. Uh, conference and if people want to get details it's realityapologetics.com realityapologetics.com but it is fantastic unbelievable well i'm so excited that kids are getting interested in knowing what their faith is what it means to them and how they can defend it because kids today ask a lot of why questions don't they yeah they sure do and it's not just yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that kids ask it. A lot of why questions get asked of them, and they're more aggressively asked now than they have been for a long, long time. But but students have it as well. And one of our approaches at STR Stand to Reason, uh, Bill, in the, is that we're we're not just trying to help Christians answer the questions of other critics and to deal with that and deflect them. And but the toughest critic that any Christian will ever face is always going to be themselves. When the time times get tough, you know, and the chips are down, uh, that's when we start wondering. And every Christian has doubts at one time or another, so that's not unusual. The question is, can he answer the doubts? And uh, that's what there's where we come in. And apologetics in general comes in in the life of the individual Christian. Yeah, and if anybody, adults or kids, feel um, ill-equipped to answer a question, they might withdraw. And that's never good. I mean, it's much better to just say, I don't know how to answer that question, but I would certainly research yeah. it and get back to you because I don't want to lose right. our conversation or our relationship. But yeah, um, I, I asked, uh, I think this is one of the reasons that I wrote Street Smarts, which is a follow up 
to tactics, a game plan for discussing your Christian convictions. It's actually a sequel because it expands on that material. For those of your listeners who are familiar with uh, tactics, is because uh, you you know you wonder why is it if Christianity is the truth and there's lots and lots of solid evidence to demonstrate that why aren't Christians engaging more frequently, bringing light? into the darkness where uh, where they're needed and where Christ has sent us. And I think you you touched on it a moment ago, Bill, that they're scared, you know, and uh, they're scared because they don't know the answers. They're scared because the opposition is much more aggressive than it used to be. And uh, and I completely understand that. In fact, it's it's surprising. Maybe Maybe someone will take comfort from this. The Apostle Paul was also scared. And this came out in the book of Acts, and he's in Corinth, and Jesus then appears to him in a vision, and he says, do not be afraid any longer. Speak freely, for I have many people in this city. And so even Paul needed encouragement because things were tough for him too. So uh, the key, though, is that I think in Jesus in Matthew chapter 10, three different times, he says, do not fear. And within seven sentences, and he constructs it a little different in each case. But the point is, there there's something to be afraid afraid of, and that's why um, he said that. But we have, as he said, there we have the Holy Spirit. That's one thing to help us. But also, and this is what a lot of people miss: Jesus didn't say that to the disciples at the beginning of his ministry. He said that more into the middle. What did he say at the beginning? Uh, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So there's a period of training that Jesus even did with the disciples to build up their confidence, give them knowledge, give them understanding, so that when they went out on that first missionary journey in Matthew 10, uh, they could then depend on what Jesus had trained them to do and the Holy Spirit using that to make a difference in the lives of the people they spoke with. And Greg, don't we have to say to these followers at that time, they didn't know exactly who they were following. I mean, they needed to be trained and equipped. Yes, this is is true. We have a much clearer idea now, and they were confused until after the resurrection. Pentecost, you know, they get the Holy Spirit. And uh, even when you go to Matthew, or rather Acts chapter 10, and there's the vision regarding Cornelius the Gentile, um, Peter is reluctant until he gets the vision three times to cross the threshold of a Gentile, you know. So there's a process there. Even the disciples walking with Jesus missed a whole bunch of things. And, and therefore, I think it's good that we be patient with ourselves with the process. And this is why a lot of what I do in the tactics book and in the street smarts book coming out September 12th is I, as I teach Christians, excuse me, how they can be effect effective in the shallow end of the pool, so to speak, Mm -hmm. they don't have to uh, put themselves at risk. And the techniques I talk about in both of those books will allow them to move forward and make a difference for the cause of Christ without taking the kind of risk that they felt that they would be taking when they venture out into the world. It's it's so much easier than they thought if they follow the principles that I set down there. I love it. Greg Kokel is my guest. His last name is spelled K-O-U-K-L. Sounds like it's missing a uh, a letter here somewhere. Somebody wants to add an E on the end. Yeah, I want to stick it somewhere, but it's uh, K-O-U-K-L, Greg Kokel. And uh, Greg, maybe you would 
tell us the difference um, when it comes to evangelism between, let's say, a harvest approach and a, a gardening approach? Oh, yeah. I'm so glad you asked that. It's it's one of my favorite things to talk about, and it's so important um, because I think that that characteristically Christians have a wrong view of evangelism, and it's because uh, some changes that happened in, in the way we do things, uh, you know, 150 years ago in the middle of the 18, 19th century, um, but um, the whole idea that what evangelism entails is giving this, giving the gospel or giving the simple gospel is the way some people put it, and then um, and then encouraging somebody to pray to receive Christ. Now that's on an individual level. If it's a church, then the preacher does the work and then he gives an altar call. And I'm not against either of those um, as techniques. And I've used them before and God has used them obviously in lots of people's lives. But you, there are no altar calls in, in the New Testament, not in the Gospels or in the book of Acts. There are no instances where people are challenged to receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Um, there was something different going on. And the and this is where I go to John chapter 4, because there's an incident there that makes this distinction you just asked, asked about. Of course, John 4 is the woman at the well, and a lot of folks focus on that wonderful encounter. But I want you to think about what happens just after that encounter. Uh, the the woman goes off to Sychar to tell people about Christ, and and then the disciples come up because they weren't there for that encounter. And Jesus said, you are about to reap where you did not sow. You are about to reap where you did not sow. In other words, somebody else made the uh, did the heavy lifting here, and um, you're going to get the easy pickings, you know. And uh, and so in that statement, he, 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 implicitly, he's saying, look, there's one field here. Sychar in that particular case, and but there's there's two seasons. There is a sowing season, and there is a reaping season. Okay, he had mentioned earlier to the disciples. He said, "You say there is what three months, and then comes the harvest. Look in the fields; they're ripe for harvest now." Now, I don't think he's saying every field is ripe for harvest, but Sychar was. And so, so we, there's these two seasons: this sowing and the reaping. I call it um, gardening <laughs> and harvesting. And um, not only are there two seasons, but there are two type of two, two types of workers. There are sowers, and there are, are reapers. There are gardeners, and there are harvesters. The concern I have is that what we have received over time, and which is kind of fixed in our mind about the way evangelism is done, is we have a harvesting mentality. Think of all our tools, uh, Bill. You know, they're little pamphlets that you read through and work with somebody, and right at the end, now there's the prayer to receive Christ. Now, again, I'm not against those, but I, uh, if people think that's the way evangelism needs to be done, that you're pushing for the close. You know, you want to get somebody to receive Christ. And I've even had people tell me, I mean, people whose name you would recognize because they don't agree with what I'm explaining right now. They've said, every time you talk with somebody, you want to try to challenge them to receive Christ because you never know when they're going to do that. Okay. Now, if we put that burden on Christians, when we encourage them to engage others for the gospel's sake, they're just not going to do it. They're going to sit on the bench. They're going to sit out of play because, as I said a few moments ago, they're scared. And 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 it, look at there's more reason to be scared now than ever before. The the uh, in terms of modern times, the audience in America is much more hostile than it ever has been before, and the challenges are more complex 
mm-hmm. the challenges against the legitimacy of of the Christian view of reality. Okay, it's not just the gospel proper, the narrow thing about Jesus. It's a whole bunch of things that get in the way, so they don't even think about the the legitimacy of putting their confidence in Jesus of Nazareth. And so it's it's spooky out there. So people are just going to sit on the bench, and this is where this distinction, I think, Bill, between the gardening phase and the harvesting phase is so important. And this is what I like to people to think about. And if I'm w- with an audience, I say, write this down, because this is really important. It's a simple aphorism, just a truism in a simple statement. And here it is. Before there can be a harvest, there always has to be a season of gardening. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no okay. Doubt, right? That's fair. Before there can be a harvest, there's got to be a season of gardening. But we are, we are not taught how to garden. And uh, in in fact, um, you know, in, look, I say this because it freaks people out, but it's true. And then I explain later why it's significant. I have not prayed to receive Christ with anyone in over 30 years. I know there's like dead silence in the audience because like, what a loser, you know, <laughs> but I have never been more effective for the gospel's sake. Mm-hmm. than I have in the last 30 years. And that's because I realize I'm not a harvester. I'm a guard a gardener. And I actually think most Christians are gardeners because gardening is where the hard work is done. Mm-hmm. I became a Christian in 1973 on September 28th. Okay. And uh, my brother who had been doing more of the gardening in my life at the time, he came back to my apartment there in West LA. I was a student at UCLA at the time. And uh, and he began to tell me again more about Jesus. And I told Mark, I said, look, you don't need to tell me about Jesus anymore. I've already decided I want to become a Christian. And, and you know, it's my fruit was ripe at that point, and it just dropped into the basket. It didn't need to be harvested, <laughs> is my point there. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's true with all fruit. Yeah. You see, you know, you see in the book of Acts, there, Peter does his sermon, and then the fruit comes in. No altar call, 3,000 or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, the next time thousands more yeah. let me add one other thing to this because i'm gonna mentioned- have I'm gonna, I'm, i i love this point greg but i need to put you on hold just for a minute because we're up right, against gotcha. a break and we've gone too long and i i'm ryan my producer's looking at me like you know <laughs> you better take a break so let me take a quick one greg coco sure. my guest his book is street smarts comes out in september um so we're gonna have him back for sure when that comes out but we'll be right back Thanks for listening to Afternoons with Bill Arnold. I'm Carmen LaBerge. If you enjoy what you're listening to here, consider subscribing to other great faith radio podcasts like mine. Search Mornings with Carmen LaBerge at MyFaithRadio.com or wherever you listen to podcasts and hit subscribe. So glad to be back today with Greg Kokel. He's my guest for the hour and I think we should start a GoFundMe account to buy him a vowel for his last name. If you look him up, it's K-O-U-K-L, Kokel. And his brand new book coming out in early September is called Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. Now, Greg, I hope you remembered where you left off. I did. I do. <laughs> and by the way, that's already available for pre-order. Okay, awesome. Uh, Amazon, so okay. no problem. Street Smarts. Yeah, K-O-U-K-L. That's good. What I was saying is um, I made this statement that 
probably dropped a lot of jaws of people who are listening, and that is that I haven't prayed with anyone to receive Christ in over 30 years. But even so, because of this concept that I understand and have employed of gardening, focusing on gardening rather than harvesting, um, I've been, I haven't, I've never been more effective for the gospel. And wherever I go, and I, can, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be at University of uh, Kentucky and University of Louisville. And when I go to university audience, what am I doing? I'm not trying to have an altar call. I'm just gardening. Okay. I'm trying to put a stone in their shoe as people of tactics will recognize the phrase because I'm trying to get them. I, I want to annoy them in a good way. Let's mm -hmm. put it that way. <laughs> I want to get them thinking. I'm not trying to close the deal. And if I could just get a little bit here, a little bit there and get them thinking, well, that's what it takes. That's gardening. And I'm not alone. We're all on the same team. Okay. Now, here's the thing. I know you mentioned uh, Jim Wallace, Jay Warner Wallace, uh, a couple of, just a bit ago. And um it, most people know about uh, Jim because you, I guess you've had him on your show. He's on every month. He's a super interview, and he's also really re-releasing his uh, Cold Case Christianity on the same day. Mine is being uh, – my book is being released, so that's coming out with more stuff in it, and that's the book he's famous for because he was an atheist, and he was a, a cold case detective, very accomplished, never lost a case that went to trial, and decided to take his considerable detective skills – and apply them to the question of Jesus of Nazareth, and particularly the gospel accounts as records, uh, uh, reliable eyewitness testimony of the events that happened 2,000 years ago, a, a real cold case. And uh, and in the process, he became a Christian, and then he became a Christian apologist, and then he became a Christian writer and wrote Cold Case Christianity, which became a bestseller, and he's written four books a total three others since then and uh most recently a person of interest and you know we've we've had jim on lots of times with str in fact he was on our staff for two years and i don't know anybody who is as effective a communicator as a christian apologist as jay warner wallace lots of folks know that here's what they don't know jim was in my garden when he was an he is when he was an atheist oh wow he, he was listening to my radio show when he was an atheist. And so here I am gardening in Jim's life. And I could, by the way, give you more names of other people that you would probably know, and maybe even had on your show, where it was the same thing. We've got a staff member on Stand to Reason, one of our speakers, uh, John John Noyes. And John was an atheist, and he was in my garden became, before he, was, he became a Christian. Now he's a full-time guy at Stand to Reason. And John does not even know when he became a Christian. So he didn't he didn't remember praying to receive Christ. And I didn't pray with Jay Warner. That happened some some other way, you know. In other words, somebody went into my garden and picked my crop, right? Mm -hmm. Do I care? No. No. Uh, we're all on the same team. And Jesus said, so that the one who sows and the one who reaps can rejoice together. And I just mentioned this about Jim because um because some people think, well, how do you, how do people come to Christ if, um, if you don't, you know, give them an altar call and give them the gospel and all that? Well, eventually they get the gospel somewhere along the line. But Jesus didn't get to the gospel in every conversation. That's the good news. Lots of times he got to the bad news and he just annoyed people and he frustrated them. And uh, so there's a process that's involved with any individual person coming to Christ. And what I do in my books is I teach, whether it's tactics 
or whether it's the new book street smarts coming out in september i'm giving gardening tools Mm -hmm. i want to help individual christians do spade work in their own family at their office with school other friends wherever they happen to be working and that spade work a little here a little there in individuals life by different christians as god brings them sovereignly in that's that's what makes the difference and when that fruit becomes right by the work of the holy spirit that fruit drops into the basket with a nudge we don't have to call them forward i just talked to a gal two days ago in albuquerque new mexico i was with frank turk there doing a cia event cross-examined instructor academy and she told me her story she has 13 generations of mormon 13th generation mormon lds mm-hmm. yet the holy spirit over a period of seven years got her and when she's all by herself in a car boom damascus road so that's the way the Holy Spirit works. We don't have to worry about trying to drag people to the altar to get them to pray and get the music pumped up or whatever. That's the Holy Spirit's job in my view. And that's the way it was done in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Uh, John 6, 29 says, Jesus answered the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So believing and placing your faith in him is what I understand to be the born again experience. That's right. And by the way, in that same passage, it says, no one can, Jesus said, no one can come to me, but the Father draws him. So there is this, um, draws him and gives them to me. You know, the, the, whole, the Father, through the work of the Holy Spirit, the whole Trinity is involved in this process, and they, they are doing all this work. So we don't have to I worry our little heads about this. And by the way, the application here is not to discourage people from praying with but to receive Christ. The application here is to encourage those who are afraid to do that because of the cultural circumstances and say, don't worry about that. You get out there, use some of the tools that I'll teach you to use in these books, and just do some gardening. Try to put a stone in people's shoes. Ask lots of questions, and I guide on how to do that. And that's that's evangelism, New Testament style. Mm -hmm. Greg, I uh, speak every Friday night at a adult recovery center, a group of men recovering from drugs and alcohol. And probably six months ago, I was speaking and I was about halfway through my talk and a hand went up and I said, yeah. And and the guy said, I want to become a Christian right now. (laughs) And I thought, well, I guess, (laughs) I guess I have an opportunity in front of me. What would you have said to him? How would you have replied to that request? Listen, the fact is, and there, there, there you go. Here's a guy who harvested himself, right? Right. Um, This happens a lot. And if, if, um, if, if, if a person says that I want to become a Christian right now, chances are pretty good. They already are. Okay. Mm -hmm. They just haven't become public with it. Okay. Let's, uh, okay. I'll tell you what to do. And this is what I told tell the students at, at uh, when I was there in, in no, last November at uh, in Minneapolis at Eden Prairie Grace Church. As I closed out, I said, "Here's what you do: you 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 bend your knee. You can do it now in your mind. You yeah. go home tonight. You bend your knee. You beat your breast, and you yeah. say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner.'" All right, we'll be right back with Greg Kokel in just a minute. If you have a question, let me know eight seven seven nine three three two four eight four.
It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. Drive time, drive time. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. What's for dinner? It's the afternoon show with Bill Arno. My guest today is Greg Kokel. So glad to have Greg back on the show. Greg, I get all worked up when you come on and I forget to look at the time clock and then I cut you off like the sometimes amateur radio guy I can be. So I apologize for that. <laughs> well, you cut me off right in the middle of my altar call, man. <laughs> no, I didn't. I know I didn't. Don't worry. <laughs> well, let me just pick it up there yeah. because uh, what I do is I just give them, I just give them a, a simple action by which they can, um, they can express What's actually, I think, already um, I- implicitly going on in their heart. When I told my brother Mark I want to become a Christian, it's it very similar to what you just described. I suspect I already was, and there wasn't anything magic in the prayer that I prayed. But I do think it's important. And um, the and I would just tell them, like I told, like when I closed the uh, reality event uh, last year, November, in uh, at Grace Church Eden Prairie, there were almost four thousand young people there, and I said, "Look at you, it, you know, right now, you know what's going on, you understand it right now, you you bend your knee, you beat your breast, and you say, Lord, have mercy on me.'" a sinner. Lord Jesus, save me. Mm-hmm. And that act of confession and trust, that's what connects you. And uh, and then, so here's what I say. I say, now you follow Jesus and never stop. So instead of saying, receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, you know, which is a, terminolo- a terminology that rich Christians use all the time, and it's kind of built into our system, but it's terminology people do not understand. Okay, it's just like a lot of times it's just Christian noise. I tell them in my phraseology what what that looks like. Okay, Savior, well, that means you say, "Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner." Now that's right out of the parable that Jesus talked about uh, with the um, Pharisee and the tax gatherer. Right? That's right out of the New Testament, and this is what it is. You are you are saying, "Good." God, I need you, you know, and uh, okay, now that sets you up for what? The next thing, that is following him. Mm-hmm. Following, that's what Lord means. You you do what he tells you to do. This requires a change in your life. You are leaving one life, you're going to another. You right. start following Jesus and you do not ever stop. That's what I tell him to do. And uh, you got friends around you that are going to help you. And this is uh, the point where you, if, if I were that person, I'd say you find other Christians and you'd tell them what happened. What That's your attitude, that you are now a believer in Jesus. And that's the confess with your mouth, Jesus, as Lord, and believe in your heart. God raised him from the dead from Romans 10. So that's the way I would approach it. I, I wouldn't make a big deal of, it, of mm-hmm. it. And the way I put it, if if I'm given a talk at a church and they ask me to give an altar call, I said, well, it kind of depends what you mean. This is the way I'm going to put it. I'm, I don't want any music going on. I don't want any emotional appeals. I don't want any faldera. You know, I don't want a decision. I want a conversion. And they're different. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe we've done a, a less than spectacular job of explaining Lord and Savior. Because if you come to my house, I can't say to you, "Come in, Greg. Stay out, Cocal." Because I, I'm getting every, I'm getting you or nothing, right? Okay. So if we understand what Lord means, which is following Him, and Savior, which means I've given my, I've, I've, I've done the exchanged life. I've given my life in exchange for Jesus. That's, that's I'm a- trusting him to do something for me exactly. that I can't do for myself. And exactly. that's to rescue me. And that's why I use the word rescuer 
instead of savior even yeah. because again that sounds like a religious term but that with help i'm drowning somebody rescue me and this is where jesus reaches out and grabs us and he rescues us and that's the picture i want to have people have in their in in their minds when they think about this yeah i mean the night the titanic went down nobody said you know what i'm going to swim to shore i don't need to get in a boat you know you go you go ahead i'll swim i'll I'll take care of this myself right right they need rescue yeah here's a a, a, some texture just came in and said my jaw didn't drop when you were talking about earlier in in the hour about about evangelism, said, I'm in the same situation and was frustrated at the assumption that the only true evangelists are the ones who close the sale. Right. And the gardening tools are much appreciated. Yeah, well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. And uh, again, when you look in the Gospels and uh, in Jesus' method, he he asked dozens and dozens, actually over 200 and some questions, you know, he maneuvered, he got people thinking, he piqued their curiosity, he frustrated them. I mean, just think of this, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you cannot be saved. Is that good news? That's good news. That's Sermon on the Mount. That's Matthew 5, you know, and that's like, are you kidding me? That's an OMG moment, right? For people like, huh? You've got to be kidding. Those are the most righteous people around. I got to beat those. Well, that's what the law demands. And so Jesus piles on there in the first part of the Sermon on the Mount, the bad news. And that's what frustrates them, you know? And I mean, when they realize what the law demands, this is bad news. And and that they they have no possible way of keeping that law. You know, you, you you don't commit murder, he said. Well, you think, I haven't done that. Well, did you ever call your your bar- brother an idiot? <laughs> of course I have. You're going to hell. That's Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Don't, com- don't commit adultery. Um, never did that. Did you ever think about it? Uh, you're going to hell. Mm-hmm. What the law, I mean, that's, that's right there in, in Matthew 5. So um, there's a lot of bad news that comes down before the good news starts coming down. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my burden is light. What was the burden that were that they were carrying? It was the burden of guilt because the law was so demanding, and uh, and this is what Jesus came to rescue us from. Not the law, in a certain sense, because we're saved for good works, but rather from the burden of having to keep the law. Therefore, it makes us guilty, and we need forgiveness for that. And. Uh, so that's kind of how that all works together, Bill. Mm-hmm. Greg Kokel is my guest. His book coming out in September, so it's a little ways away, is called Street Smarts and helps equip Christians to handle tough challenges in a very straightforward and user-friendly way. I know you've got an illustration or two, Greg, from the book you can tease us with. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I do. Oh, uh, you good. Just broke- I, yeah, of course, I, I didn't lots, read the I book. So, on illustrations, I have lots of them, sure. Yes, yes. So my ask was, can you give us a tease from your book coming out in September uh, of of um, tough challenges and, and the direct, straightforward way to answer them? Yeah. Um, we have some time before the break? Oh, yeah. Right now. Yeah. Okay, so um, uh, let's take abortion. That's a tough one, and it's really a big deal right now because of the reversal of Roe v. Wade recently. You know, this is the, my body, my choice. You know, I can do whatever I want with my body. 
all right. And I was talking to somebody just the other day on this issue. And uh, I knew they were traveling. I said, you getting on the plane, Alan? You getting on the plane soon? Tomorrow? No, well, the next day I'm going to, oh, I, like he didn't realize where I'm going. I just said, hey, aren't you flying out soon? Yeah. So when you go to that airport, are they going to slap, slap a lot of laws on your body? Yeah. It's called TSA, right? Mm-hmm. I said, are you going to complain? No. So it's not the case that you can do whatever you want with your own body, is it? Okay, so now, now that's not the whole issue, but that's just a little piece, all right? And and um, I'll, I'll I'll go a few steps forward in a moment, but I just want people to notice what happened. Um, here's a standard challenge: I can do whatever I want with my own body. Now I know that's that's not true. Nobody can do whatever they want with their own body in a civilized society. Okay, now I could just say to my friend, I could say to Alan, "You're wrong about that." That's false. Well, I could just contradict him. Well, that's not, it's true, but it's not elegant. It's not shrewd. So instead, I just caught him off guard and I asked him a question. I use a counterexample now that makes my point, but I used questions and he affirmed each point of it. Now he can't deny me because he realizes, oh yeah, he's not going to complain with the TSA, you know, runs him through the deal and everything and forces him to do things with his body that he normally wouldn't want to do. Okay. And so uh, that, that's a, that's a, uh, by doing that, I, I defuse the broad challenge that I can do whatever I want with my own body. And I did it, what, 30 seconds. That was simple because I knew the right questions to ask. And because I knew them, I'm not afraid of the challenge. I'm not nervous. I'm not angry. I'm not in his face. I'm not thumping him on the chest, you know, kind of thing, but I'm just asking the question that gets me what I'm after. Okay, so that that's that's one stage of that. Now, um, uh, when uh, another in that same vein regarding abortion, I'll ask a, a person who's raising the issue. I said, let me let me let me ask you a question about this. If your son or your daughter comes up to you with your back turned, and they say to you, "Mommy or Daddy, can I kill this?" Now your back is turned; you can't see it. So, what is the first question you have to have answered before you can say yes or no well the answer is of course what is it okay that's the question obviously Mm -hmm. so abortion takes the life of something that's the whole idea of the abortion you kill this thing okay um so whether it's right or wrong to um take the life of any living thing depends entirely on what it is so here's our question now notice i've simplified the issue what is the unborn that's it what is the unborn well nobody knows what it is oh really okay so the unborn's in there is it is it growing i'm sorry is it growing is is it is it alive is what i what i ask and they say well nobody knows when life begins well wait a minute that's not that's not the question i i asked i didn't ask when life begins i asked is this thing in question is it growing uh, I'm sorry, is it alive? So let me ask it a, a different way. Is it growing? So now I just shift my question. And this is all in street smarts, very straightforward, very mm-hmm. simple. Is it growing? Yeah, it's growing. So if it's growing, is it alive? Yes. Okay, now we know that whatever's inside mom is alive because it's growing. Okay, now I got another question. If you watch CSI and you find a piece of, what is that? Oh, that's just a piece of tissue. Okay, that's just a blob of tissue. Of course, we're all blobs of tissue, aren't we, Bill? But what kind of tissue? That's the question. And so I'll say, if you watch CSI and and they want to find out which body 
this piece of tissue they find belongs to, what do they do? Well, they do a DNA test, right? And if the if the if the DNA matches, you know you got tissue from the same body. So if I were to take the tissue that's growing inside of a woman that we're talking about, a woman who's pregnant, and did a DNA test, would the DNA match mom? No. Okay, so then what's growing is not mom's body, is it? It's growing in her body, but it's not her mom. Okay, so then, okay, then we want to figure out, well, what is it that's growing in there? And let's go back to CSA, CSI. We're going to take a DNA test to find out not, to find out what kind of thing it is that's growing inside of mom. And if we do that, what kind of DNA signature do you think that thing would have? Notice these are all questions. And for the sake of our discussion, Bill, I'm I'm answering them. You know, right. you see how this flows out. Well, I guess I guess it would be a human signature. Oh, okay. So the thing that is growing inside of mom that is alive is not mom's body, but a different human being growing there. So now we know the answer to the question: What is it? It's a it's an innocent human being growing inside of the place it's supposed to be growing, um, being helped by the mother who is building it with her own body, mm-hmm. her own offspring, an innocent human being. Now, there's more I could say about this, but you can see the process. I have in my mind, I understand that the unborn is a separate individual living human being, and the un, as a being a separate human being has the same value as any other separate human being outside of the womb, because location of humans is is morally in, insignificant. Doesn't matter if I move from one room to another; I'm still my valuable self. So, so I know this. Now I could just preach that at the person, and they're going to just say, "Oh, it's a blob of tissue," or blah blah blah, and then you're going to be directed. It's not going to work out. But if you ask simple questions for which. The answer is pretty simple and straightforward and obvious, and they answer those individual questions. Now you've got a line of pieces of information that they have given to you in response to your questions that that allows you to get to your conclusion that they cannot contest. And that's what I call street smarts. That's really, really good, Greg. And even thinking about the mother and the baby, they can have different blood types. That's right. There's all kinds of different things that are involved. You could have different blood types. They could have different sexes. They could have, uh, you know, yes, like, a, you know, do you have four hands? No, you only have two hands, but your body, your whatever's growing there has got another set of hands, right? Mm-hmm. Something, yeah, there's lots of ways to show that. I just go to the CSA, right? And wrote like the DNA because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's so crystal clear with it, but there are different ways to go. Yeah. You're right. All right, we'll take a break and come back and have more time with Greg Kokel. If you have a question or comment, it is welcome. 877-933-2484. His book coming out in September is called Street Smarts, using questions to answer Christianity's toughest questions. Be right back. Faith Radio and Afternoons with Bill podcasts are available because of listener support. If you are a supporter, 
Thank you so much. Becoming a supporter today by visiting MyFaithRadio.com. I'm back with Greg Kokel. And he's back in my head, just like I thought he might be. Way to go, Greg. Thanks a lot. Probably up a lot tonight <laughs> thinking about it. You know, one of, the, one of the things you said about our bodies are not our own. Of course, we get that from 1 Corinthians 6, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. I also right. think, you know, you talk about my body's my, my own. And I think, well, even what you do in private has public implications. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, child molestation happens in private, for goodness sake. Of course. Gross. Yeah. But I mean, this is where this is where giving um, clear case counterexamples, this is a general principle in talking with people and trying to persuade them and helping them to see that their view is compromised some way. It's using clear case counterexamples, okay? And that's one. So wait a minute, you 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 want to do it because you have the right to privacy? Well, you have a, a, a right to privacy, but it, there's restrictions on there are limitations to that. You can't do anything you want. So the question is, does abortion do something that that is that is is justifies violating your pri- privacy to prevent you from doing? And 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 this is where we make our case that when we say what what is the unborn, which is the key question and the whole controversy, it's central. We simplify the issue. What is the unborn? And then, then we step through the steps and answer the challenge. We get, it's clear in our minds that the unborn is a living, separate human being. It's not the mother. It's in the mother's body, but it's the human being that the mother is producing naturally in her body. It's her offspring. And it's just so ironic, isn't it, Bill, that inside of a mother's womb is the most dangerous place for a child to be mm-hmm. in this country. It's amazing when you think about that. So, um, so anyway, we, this we just step through this and we just give them something to think about. Now, maybe what I role played for you a few moments ago with that particular issue, and uh, Street Smart's idea with a whole bunch of issues to use questions to answer Christianity's toughest challenges. Uh, when when we do that, we we have put a stone in their shoe. We've given them something to think about. I may not go all the way with a whole bunch more illustrations, deal with more kinds of objections sure. unless they want to. Then I'm going to use the same technique, but dealing with the separate issue. And 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 what I've done in these, not only the the, the Street Smarts book, but the Tactics book that comes before it. And by the way, if people are waiting for Street Smarts to come out. They want, might want to grab the Tactics book first and ca- kind of get up to speed because uh, Street Smarts, the sequel. Though, if you just get Street Smarts, I have introductory material to help you understand the game plan. But uh, th- this is the way we handle all kinds of challenges to Christianity, atheism and the problem of evil, the Bible and science, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and you, first you get an insight into how the challenge or the charge or the alternate view falters. That's what I give you. That's general apologetics books and do that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But then take it another step. I provide the bridge from the content to the conversation. And that's the tactical bridge with a series of steps. And the tactics book talks about three steps that allows you to do that. And the first and second are amazingly simple. They the sample questions are provided there for you for those first two, first two steps. Basically, there are different types of information you're gathering. Okay, mm-hmm. the third step though is you're using questions to exp- expose 
a weakness or a flaw or maybe deflect a challenge. And that gets more difficult because you have to be able to see the flaw or you have, have to know how to deflect the challenge. And so um, that's why I go through all of these areas very specifically and then provide sample dialogues with the kinds of questions that are appropriate to launch the point you're making. So you get, have an interactive thing back and forth, just like I role-played for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have this text, Greg, I followed the steps all the way up to living and human tissues, but I think that the disagreement with pro-abortion types is one of being. I don't think they agree that is that it is a being to a certain point, which seems a well, uh, very interesting inroad into the spiritual. What do you think about all of that? No, I, I actually don't. I think that's not it, into the spiritual so much. I, it, this is still scientific. It's an in, okay. Then I'm going to ask them. What do you mean? It, it's not a being. You know, it, it, and here, okay, so there, that's my first Columbo question, by the way. Well, I say Columbo because of Lieutenant Columbo from right. TV fame, the questions a lot. So I'm going to ask them, what do you mean by that? So what, what do you mean? It's not a being. What's a being? Now they're going to have to explain that to me because they just parried me mm -hmm. with a challenge. And so I want clarification. Okay. And so, um, we'll have to see, you know, that now we'll just have to see. I, I have another, what are they going to say? Well, it's not a being because what? Right. So I have another question to ask. Were you, were you, okay, I'll just use yourself, Bill, right now. Were mm -hmm. you the unborn child your mother carried when you, before you were born? Yes. <laughs> were you, was that you? That was me. Kicking in the, you heard, sitting on her kidney or ki kicking her, you know. <laughs> was that you or was that somebody else? That was me. This is common sense stuff. Yeah. But it only comes out when you ask the right question, it becomes obvious to a hostile person when you ask the right question. And so when I say, okay, were you an unborn child? Well, was that you? If it was you, then then that's a being. You were the being that was in there. Mm -hmm. well, I don't know what they're going to say to try to parry that, but it's it's like, no, duh, right? It's obvious. And this is one of the advantages of using a huge advantage to using questions to navigate. And if you if you are aware of how the the process works, and it's the whole idea of the dialogues to help you get a rhythm of how this happens and moving. The dialogues aren't complete. You know, you don't know where any conversation is going to go, but they cover the basics so that you can get going and get on your feet and and ha take the initiative in an appropriate way and be in the driver's seat. And when you're in the driver's seat in the appropriate way using questions, you're not nasty. You're not mean. You're not, you're, you're You're relaxed. You're relaxed. So let me ask this question, just for your listeners' sake. Okay, I don't know about you, Bill, but let me just find out. Do you like taking tests? Um, no, I do not. No, okay. No. Most people don't. Okay, second question. Um, what if you knew all the answers? Love it. Do you, do you like taking the test? <laughs> yeah, like, I wouldn't mind it so much then. No problem. Okay, so this is the whole point. People are nervous because they taking the test on the street because they don't know the answers. I give them the answers. Mm -hmm. I give them the steps to move forward with it. Yeah. Then they're relaxed. They're happy. They can be nice to people in opposition, which is exactly what the Apostle Paul tells us to do in 2 Timothy chapter 2. You know, do not be quarrelsome, but patient. And that's what you can do when you know the answers. Yeah, such a wise, wise strategy. Um, when we are having com difficult, challenging conversations. Um, I think for some 
people, they, they think I'm, the other person is getting in, they're trying to get me in a gotcha moment. They want to end it. They want to try to uh, disqualify me. So what would be your advice in the last minute when people find themselves in that situation? Well, if people are trying to get a gotcha, that these conversations are a lot of times, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of gladiator moments. That's the way it's construed in our, or constructed really in our culture right now. And, um, and this is where what we want to avoid. We don't want to be perpetrators of a gladiator moment. Yeah. Uh, and we don't want to be victims of the gladiator moment. If a person is trying to get a gotcha on it, this is, and a lot depends on the details of that particular conversation, of course, but this is where a question comes in. A question can be used to deflect and defray. And the most common question I, I ask is what some form of what do you mean by that? Like and if I ask for more clarification, that gives me a little breathing room and it forces the other person to be clear about what their own challenge actually is. And sometimes that just stops them in their tracks, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Yeah, so good. Greg Kokel, thank you so much for taking your busy time to be with me today. I've just always enjoyed having you on and wish we could do this more often. Thank you, Bill. I look forward to our next opportunity. Okay, buddy. thank you so much. Greg Kokel has been my guest. His book coming out in September is called Street Smarts, Using Questions to Answer Christianity's Toughest Challenges. If you learn nothing else today, remember... Ask good questions. That keeps the conversation going. And you can stay calm and make people clarify what they mean when they say things that sound a little foolish. They sound foolish maybe because they are foolish. They're saying foolish things. Anyway, have a great night, everyone. I look forward to spending time again with you tomorrow. Thank you so much for listening and supporting Faith Radio. See you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.